If you're not already there, please turn back with me to Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47, as we address the question, are you healthy? Are we healthy? Let's open in prayer. Father, the healthiest way that we can be is to remember your deep love, and may that allow us to surrender everything to you. I pray in Christ's name, amen. You know, our health, our the health of our families, the health of our church, the health of our community, and even the health of our nation has been much on our minds lately. And that's all we seem to hear on the news, the COVID-19 and, and the health. You know, when I call people, and we as pastors call people each day, one of the questions that we inquire, we ask people, how are you doing? And how's your family? And they'll ask back, well, how are you doing? How's your family, Pastor Dave? And how's your dad doing? How's Josie? How's the family? Um, we're much concerned about each other's physical health well-being. And we've been praying much for those that are in the medical field in our church. We're concerned for, for Dr. Suja Mathai and for each of the nurses and their bravery being in the front line. We're concerned for their health. Every day we pray for them. Each day we, I get on the, uh, my, look for my email and I get a, a note from Mercer County COVID-19. I want to see uh, what is the count. I keep hoping and praying to see the number that have died in our county dropping, getting lower and lower where this whole thing is slowing down. Well, I want us to look in the book of Acts and get a snapshot of what a healthy church looks like. And here we're seeing this church in Acts chapter 2 um, that just heard the message of Jesus Christ preached to them. Um, and Peter preaching in Acts chapter 2 and talks about Jesus Christ as God our Savior, that he died and he rose again. And they connected it with New Test- the Old Testament um, prophecies. And it connected and God moved into the heart of some 3,000 people. And then, then it says in 47, God added to that number each day. Well, this is the beginning of a local church that's meeting and will become house churches in Jerusalem. But what does a healthy church do? Um, what is a healthy church's priority? Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and following, presents a clear pattern of what a healthy church does. What is a healthy church's priority? In fact, it becomes the pattern that we'll see in the rest of Scripture, what is their priority. So I want us to ask this question. What is my priority? What is, what is the description as I look at what it says in Acts chapter 2? Is this a description of me, we should ask? And then we need to ask corporately, is this a description of our church? If it is, praise God. If it isn't, then what do we need to do individually and as a church to close the gap between the Scripture and reality? So if we're trying to get across an idea that we want to hit home, that we want to take home, we want to be devoted to the basics so that we become spiritually healthy. We be what God wants us to be. So let's look at some marks of a healthy church. Then I want to see the results of a healthy church. What did they do? We step into verse 42, and we see there are four marks of a healthy church. And it really, this word devoted is a word that, that could be preceded. Each one of these words as with driving home four major points. This is the four truths. This is the four areas that each of these um, individuals got involved in as a church. They were devoted, it says. They were devoted to these four marks, these four aspects. This word devoted means to, to hold fast, to endure, to stand continuously ready, to be unflinchingly persevering, to be faithful to a specific task or to a person. 
So these individuals, they were devoted. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to the prayers, specifically marking these four areas. They were persistent in these goals, and they were unflinching in accomplishing this direction of their lives. You know, when we think of the word devotion, we see examples all around us. As we even pray for, as I mentioned earlier, Suja and each of the nurses, and appreciate their devotion and their caring for our physical well-being during this time. I mean, we read about them, and we think it's a correct analogy or, or tie-in, like brave soldiers as they put on their gowns and they march into that emergency room or they march into the hospital where COVID is all over the place and concerned for their own well-being and the well-being of their families. I read about this past week an anesthesiologist down in Texas who's living in a treehouse. He's taking care, and he probably has one of the toughest as he's connecting with patients intimately, getting close to them, and he hasn't wanted to be near his family, so he has not seen them for a couple months living in his boy's treehouse. And they put meals outside like they would for a dog. He grabs the meals. The kids are watching him as he's eating on the patio. Then he goes up in the treehouse. Others living in their RVs. Others, even as I was talking to Shaji, um, Suja comes home and the family stays separate. She goes in her part of the house and they don't have any contact. That's devotion. Well, we take that meaning and that idea and we step it into this context here in Acts chapter 2. Here is this church that is devoted, these new believers, they hit a new norm in their life and they were devoted to Jesus Christ. You know, we hear much about a new norm in our society in light of this pandemic. Um, What will the new norm look like in our world? Yesterday, I had to go to Home Depot to return a shower handle that we got from my dad and it didn't work. And I had to stand in line about 12 deep just to get into the store. And then once in the store, everybody with masks. And then once I found what I needed, got in line. I was like 20 deep, spaced out by six feet. Maybe that's going to look that way for a while. Um, Smaller classrooms, um, go to restaurants, going to be further set apart. Well, that's the new norm. Well, who are these individuals hitting a new norm in their life? They met Jesus Christ. They became new creatures in Christ. They became devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And there are four truths that are hit of them or mention of them here in verse 42. And four truths that each of us in our own lives and corporately as a church need to have to be a healthy church. Then I want us to see what did they do? How did they put this into play in their lives? The first mark that we see is that they were devoted to Scripture. Um, first mark, devoted to Scripture. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The early church was unflinchingly persevering in their commitment to Jesus Christ and to the apostles' teaching to the Word of God. Um, any church... If you want to be a true biblical, God-honoring church, we're going to have to be faithful to the Word of God. We're going to have to be devoted to the Word of God. We're going to have to be directly committed to it. Church growth, numerically and spiritually, and commitment to the Word of God, they go together. And this church was exploding because they were committed to these four areas, first to the Word of God. But that's not the way it is in our day and age, is it? We look around us and we're sickened to see how there's a compromise happening in the preaching of the Word of God all around us and those that claim to be churches, to be teachers of the Word of God. You know, the Word of God is not embraced as being authoritative. In fact, it's being disregarded. 
churches are opting for entertainment. They're, they're opting to have their, their performance tickled. They're, op, they're opting to have this positive, feel-good message. Don't preach. Don't be faithful to the Word of God. Make us feel good. Talk about how things are great and nice and flash that winsome smile, preacher, and let us be able to feel good about ourselves. Um, they're more anxious to not look inward, or I should say not look outward. They want to look inward. You know, how can I feel better? It's all about us. Even science is becoming the bastion of truth, not the Word of God. Well, if the Word of God says this, but science seems to say this, then science must be right, and we need to reinterpret what we see in the Scriptures. The demands of the Bible are being altered so that it's my happiness and my goals are all that matters. We're in a moral revolution, and all that matters is what we feel and what we want. But that wasn't the early church. The early church was committed to the apostles' teaching, and it's an emphasis to the apostles' teaching, to that body of truth that was given to them. They listened to it as it came from God, and they applied it to their lives. In fact, when you look through the book of Acts, and you look at this word preaching, eugelion, um, evangel comes from that. The gospel is used 18 times in the book of Acts, and it's highly centered where the preaching of the word and light in the preaching, there's an advancement to God's word being placed forth and God's making a change. We see in Acts chapter 5, 42, and every day in the temple, they went house to house preaching the word, preaching the truth. Acts chapter 8, they were scattered and went abroad preaching the word. Or Acts chapter 8, 25, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So they're preaching the word, they're going forth, and there's a radical change happening in the book of Acts. We see souls getting saved. We see churches planted in Philippi, Thessalonica, and Ephesus, Colossae, because God's word is being preached and it's advancing, and the world's being turned upside down. So growth and preaching the gospel are intimately connected. And it was in that first century church. They boldly embraced the absolute authority, inspiration, and scripture. And we were looking at that series a couple months back, and we had to put it on hold because the virus hit. We were looking at biblical doctrines, and we're approaching or teaching the first doctrine we were looking at is bibliology. But you know, as we are individuals, and we want to be devoted to Scripture. We want to be devoted to the Word of God. We could say all we want from this pulpit, or we believe the Word of God, and we embrace it, but do we put it forth in our lives? Do we accept it? Do we apply it, should I say? To what we hear from here, does it connect into here? And we said recently that we could be practicing atheists to have head knowledge but not life knowledge. But the first century church fleshed it out. And we're going to see that in a, in a moment in this passage. And we won't look at it in Acts 3 and 4, but they lived out the apostles' teaching. They embraced it. They took it as the word of God. And the new norm in their life was they were listening to it and they were applying it to their life. But let's look at the next mark. It says, the fellowship. Article emphasizing the fellowship, a specific fellowship. The new norm for these believers was holding fast. It was that word devoted could be applied here. They were holding fast unflinchingly to fellowship. Friends, you show me a church that's committed to fellowship, and I'll show you a church that's being effective for God. But we need to qualify the word fellowship and understand what it's saying. You know, a lot of times, I remember a man 
back on Long Island some 25, 30 years ago, and we were having a fellowship in the backyard of one of his families, and I had been teaching on this truth. And I remember Al turning to me and saying, oh, this is great church fellowship. And I, you know, I, 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 I just smiled at him. There's a point where it was great fellowship, but there was another point where it really wasn't. And yet, all of the fun we were having in that backyard and interaction and laughing, that's the seeds of fellowship. And that's relationships are being built so that we can go deeper. But that's not fellowship in itself. You know, I could say that, you know, I miss us getting together and fellowshipping, and that's a reality, but, but it's far more than that. I could say I miss Ted's big smile, and I could just imagine that smile beaming right now as he's at home. Um, I could say I miss Zamim, seeing Dennis and others in my small group, and I could say I miss teasing Yal and getting on his case. But it's far more than just getting together and laughing and smiling and hitting, hitting, up, hitting one another and teasing each other. What is, what is fellowship? Fellowship is the spiritual duty of each of us to stimulate each other towards holiness and faithfulness. You see, it's not enough just to get together and laugh and talk about how the Eagles had an absolutely horrible draft and Cowboys, unfortunately, had a great draft, John. You know, it, it, it's got to go deeper than than temporal things where we're getting to know each other to really speak into each other's lives to encourage each other towards God pushing each other towards the kingdom of God you know the the word koinonia fellowship you know what it means we've heard it enough partnership sharing communion association but we can fellowship in anything but biblically fellowship is as we speak into each other's lives and get get closer and if you return with me for a moment just back to first John I want to reference 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, as we look at this idea of fellowship. Um, what is fellowship? In 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, I want us to see how fellowship and joy are linked together. 1 John 1, 3, That which we've seen and heard we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. So they're fellowshipping with one another, they're fellowshipping with God. But look what he then says. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Looking at our joy through the fellowship and joy is connected. A joyful life is a life that's really in, in fellowship with one another. As we're walking together and, and we're trying to stimulate each other towards Christ, we're looking into each other's lives lovingly for the glory of God, speaking truth so that we can both advance the kingdom of God and God's glorified in our lives. And there's joy in that. There's fellowship. You know, if we come to church, let's say we come and, and there's a problem. Maybe somebody's grumpy. Um, they're not very happy. We know one of two things. We know you're, dis, you're, you're having a problem horizontally with somebody, whether it's in our church or in your family or outside. Well, that needs to be gotten right. Or we have a problem with God vertically, and we need to make that right. Because fellowship and joy just flow together as we're fellowshipping and as we're enjoying the presence of God, as we're walking with God, we're then going to be rejoicing. We're going to be joyful in all that, that, that we're bringing together. And over the years, I've found that when people complain about fellowship, and we're looking at this first century church as fellowshipping, they might say of a church, well, that church just is cold, or people just don't care, or no one's called us, or people aren't connecting with us. You know what I really find 
generally to be the case, it's not so much that the church is that way, that they are that way. Maybe they're not reaching out. Maybe they're not having people over. Maybe they're not trying to get involved in people's lives. And that's, that's fellowship. It's a two-way street where we're connecting. But look in verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So, so what makes fellowship fellowship? What is fellowship fellowship? What makes fellowship biblical fellowship? It's when we are walking in the light, when I am striving to be victorious over sin, when I am striving to be morally pure before God. When I'm walking in the light and you are walking in the light and we come together, we're able to enjoy each other, might laugh a little bit, we quickly turn the corner and we're just rejoicing the goodness of God. What's a highlight in your life? What's God doing in your life? For what can we pray? And we're just sharing requests about God's greatness and God's awesomeness in our lives. So when we talk about this first century church back in Acts chapter 2 and we're applying it to our lives. May we be involved in, in true fellowship. May we be involved in connecting with one another. Now, we're not able to do that right now so easily, but we can do it. I look across the auditorium and we have just two people sitting in here. So we've shrunken our numbers um, just a bit. But we could still be involved in true fellowship. When we get together, may I say first, may this be the new norm when we get together, when we're allowed to come back. May we realize the preciousness of getting together. May we want to use our homes when we're allowed to open and have people over. And I just, I've said to Lynn a few times, listening, we need to have these folk over. We need to have these folk over. We need to have, when we get back together, may we use our homes for fellowship. May we invite people in, hear what's happening in their lives and we have fun and we laugh, but, but we ask for what can we pray. We listen to their, their stories and so that we can encourage each other more towards Christ. May our homes not be a castle where we have the moat up and you have the water in front of the moat and the alligators are in the, in the water and you have the archers in the, in the towers. So let somebody approach it, you're able to bring them right down. No, we want the moat to be down. We want the walls to be down. Maybe we invite people, you know, into our lives. The song that we sang earlier, the deep love of Jesus, and just thinking of, of God's goodness to us. We were once outsiders. We were once far from the family of God, and God let the moat down, so to speak. God brought us into his family. God allowed us to be brought into fellowship. You know, we've been saying a lot lately in our church about small groups. We've been hearing announcement about D groups. I just love the fellowship in our small group, fellowship in our D group. Um, this morning, I was able to Zoom with seven guys, seven or eight of us, um, connected, spent time, some highlights, shared prayer requests um, in our small group meeting, um, and just sweet fellowship that we're able to, to, to engage in one another. Tuesday nights, love my small group with Exxon Jew, with Conrad, with Frank, and we get together, and we just, even during this um, um, separation, we're able to get together um, every Tuesday night for 40 minutes on our Zoom till Zoom cuts us off. Um, and just able to fellowship and hear what's happening in one another's lives. Well, I've asked Conrad just to give a testimony, um, to speak of what is fellowship like to him. As he looks at fellowship and we look at um, our D group, and um, just for you to be able to hear from him about fellowship. Good evening, everyone. 
Just wanted to reach out to you guys and share with you my experiences of being in a small group and being in a discipleship group. As I would read the word of the Lord and as I would listen to different sermons, I would consistently hear the theme of small groups, the significance of them, and how I needed to be in one. And I really wanted to be obedient to God. And as I started going to Faith Baptist Church, I would see that small groups were something that they did there which really made me happy because I knew it was consistent with what the Word of the Lord says we should do as believers. Pastor Crompton one day invited me to go to a small group, and I'm so happy that he did. And I've been so blessed by going. I've been able to get to know other brothers there at the church in a more intimate level. Uh, we care about each other. We pray for each other. and We're there for each other. And it really means a lot. Um, you know, we get to share our experiences. We get to motivate each other. and. It means so much to me. There's times where maybe I've had a long day and uh, maybe praying wasn't the first thing on my mind, but I knew that I needed to pray because there were brothers there that needed prayer. And I couldn't just think of myself. I had to think of them. And I know that there are brothers there that do the same for me. And that really encouraged me by being able to have a relationship with them. Um, and it made my relationship, it's made my relationship with the Lord even stronger. And being in a discipleship group is so awesome, too. It's more intimate. It's a smaller group. And we have Pastor Crompton there teaching us the word of the Lord. And we also get to uh, share our experiences. And it's just really helped me so much in my spiritual life, growing to be uh, a better believer and a better man of God and a man of integrity and uh, to love and to think of others. And I'm just really excited that I get to be a part of that. And I just want to encourage you guys that if you're not in a group, to please take the time to do that. Be obedient to God. It's going to bless you so much. Uh, have a good night. Appreciate his test, Conrad's testimony. And this is fellowship as we care for one another and get involved pastor's group is on FaceTime, mine is Zoom, our small groups, several are connecting through various um, technology means to stay connected and involved in each other's lives. Um, but we can each use technology. We can each get on the phone and find out what's happening in other people's lives and speak to their lives and encourage them. Um, I had one man that I called this a week or two ago, and he, uh, we were chatting, and he said, you know, Dave, I, I, I'm really an introvert. I don't call much people, and, but I'm realizing during this time that we're not together that I really miss people. I miss getting together with people. I miss being around them and hearing what's happening. And he says, I'm hoping to really take the initiative when this is all over that I'll be more involved in people's lives and, and reach out and speak into their lives. And may that be true of each one of us. I want you to look at the screen behind me of this the group of names. Let's imagine um, a new norm in our lives. Let's say that we take to heart these words in Acts chapter 2, and we want to get involved in fellowship. We want to get involved in, in each other's lives, and we want to be what God wants us to be. And if we put these principles into practice, and let's say the virus hits us again in the, in the winter, maybe we would then look at these pictures of these people and say, 
I now know every one of them. And you probably know most of the people in here, but I'm going to guess there are three or four groups that you might not know. But we could say, I know each person, each picture, and not only do I know them, I've had several of them in my home since April, or when we were allowed to get back together, and we fellowshiped. And, and not only that, I'm praying for many of these families, and I know their prayer requests. I've been in conversation with them, and they're praying for me. May that be the new norm in our lives. May this cause us to understand and appreciate the sweetness of getting together a fellowship where we now are more intimately involved in each other's lives. But let's move on and look at the third mark of this church. Um, They had mentioned the breaking of bread. Um, This is part of the fellowship that, or part of this this body of getting together, their fellowship was remembering the Lord's table, um, breaking of bread, specifically as a church, as they're commanded to examine themselves, to come before, as 1 Corinthians instructs us, come before God in gratefulness and, and, and heartfelt praise, to examine themselves and to purge themselves of sin, thus purifying the church. See, nothing is more vital for the church's growth, for the church's um, regular confrontation of sins than for me to remember what Christ has done for me. Then I will purge myself of sin. I will be brought on my knees in gratitude to what God has done for me. And that's what this early church is doing. They're in, they're in love with God. They're getting together corporately and breaking bread. It's not just talking about having some feast, but as they're remembering the Lord's table as he broke bread with them. And they remember what Christ has done for them. And that's driving them and their passion and their love for him. Now, we as a church, we're not able to get together and break bread. And we're not planning on coming to your homes and have a communion in each one of your homes. But you know what? We individually can still get together in gratitude and not taking part of the Lord's table per se, but still taking part of remembrance what Christ has done for us. We can draw nigh to the cross and remembering verses like 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. I decided to do nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we could just dwell on the truth of the cross and what he's done for us. Or we think of Galatians 6.14 that we boast in the cross. And we could in gratitude, God, help me to remember what you have done for me. And cause me to, to be moved in gratitude. Cause me to be moved to want to praise you and, and live for you. To say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your bloodshed. Thank you for my salvation. Another great mark of this early church is they were devoted to the prayers as they got together. Not just to to praying individually. There was corporate prayers. They're praying together as they're getting together to cry out to God to do a work. As they're crying out to him to, to intercede and to move in people's hearts and lives. You know, there's not much happening in churches today, is there, with prayer? Um, if you have a midweek prayer service, it's not well attended. Or if we have a prayer week... Um, it might not be as well attended as, as we would like to see it. Um, churches are given more to entertainment. You have a, a concert, you bring some famous athlete to speak, the place will be packed. But you call for a prayer meeting, and we're going to struggle for that. But not this first century church. This church was committed to prayer. Uh, and it's a rebuke to me personally. You know, when I look at my prayer life, you know, just thinking of, of Conrad. In one of our um, D groups, we were, we were talking and just about prayer, and Conrad talked about how he'll break in the middle of the day and, and spend time in prayer besides the morning and, and evening. I said, I need to do that more. I need to just get away and pray in the middle of the day. And I said, just remind me, guys. So the next day, Conrad texted me. He said, don't forget, pastor, it's prayer time. 
I, I thought that was pretty awesome. But for us to spend time individually, yes, corporately, but individually in prayer. Um, author Edwin Orr was doing some reading a while ago, and he made this statement talking about how prayer was important to the Second Great Awakening. In September of, this was really the tail end of the, of the Second Great Awakening. In September of 1857, New York City, a lay evangelist named Jeremiah Lamphere and Edwin Colgate put a sign up at a store window and said, all that wants to pray, come and pray with us for revival. And on September 23rd, they had six people join them. And then a week later, they had 20 people join them. And then October 7th, 40 people came. By January, they had gone to every day praying in New York City. 3,000 people were joining them in prayer. And it actually swept across the nation. Was God preparing us for the great civil war that was about to break forth? But there was a revival that God was working in the hearts of people, and it was through prayer, bringing people to himself. So what would a new norm look like um, as we think about this, and how do we apply this into our lives? We've seen the power of God. We've seen the power of God through a little thing called a Corona-19, coronavirus. I don't make trite light of it, saying it's little, but we can't see it, and yet we see the results of it. If something this small can stop the world as it has, doesn't it just cause us to look and say, God, how powerful you are. This is nothing to what sadly will be experienced during the tribulation period. So we see the power of God even in something as, 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 as heart-wrenching as this. But we also see the preciousness of, of, of prayer, of gathering together. So we put the two together. Greatness of God and prayer. God, may we, may we pray for you to be glorified through this. May we pray that people are drawn to you. May we pray that people come to know Christ personally as their Savior. May we, God, be drawn closer to you. May we not take things so lightly. You know, we could go through the motions and every day we have a job or we have health and we have this. We take things for granted. God, may we understand praying for our daily bread that our lives are so fragile that you're in your hands. May we pray as they did in Daniel 3 or the results of Daniel 3 um, that God, the most high God, is glorified, that he's exalted, that he's magnified. Well, let's look at the verses 44 and 45 in our time remaining at the results of a healthy church. What does a healthy church do? What are some results of a healthy church? Verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. So here's this, this church coming together, and it says they had all things in common. And look at what happened. Then it says in verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all that had need. So here's the setting, as you're probably very familiar with. All of these new believers are in Jerusalem. They decided to stay. I mean, they like what they see. God has radically changed their life, and they're in a new norm, and they're fellowshipping, and they have a body of, of family, brothers and sisters, that they're not related by blood, but they're in love with each other, in love with Christ, in love with God, and they just know, they're energized that God's making a change, doing something spectacular in Jerusalem. Well, they don't have a job. They don't have a means. They don't have a way of supporting themselves. And the believers that lived in Jerusalem, because there were a lot of visitors to this feast of Pentecost that were brought in, it says that they were selling, it says in verse 45, selling their possessions and distributing. We look at these two verbs, selling and distributing. It's in the imperfect tense. And that means it's, it's continuous action in the past. Think of it as linear it's going forth continually in the past. So 
what we get from that is not communal living where they sold everything like, a, like communists and they put it to one central pot. It says as things are going on and life is going on and need comes up and they sell a little bit more and there's another need over here and they're selling a little bit more and they're caring for one another. And they're not only selling their present possessions, but they're selling their, their future assets, their future, their property that would have given them income in the future. They're selling that to lovingly, generously care for one another. So the, so the new norm is they're no longer selfish. Not that we knew what they were like before, but they kind of like yell, crucify Christ. They're no longer greedy. They're no longer caring about what they could get, but they're looking at their, their brothers and sisters. They're caring for, for one another. They're giving and generously meeting each other's needs. Well, I ask you, what was their example? Where did they get that from? How could they be so generous? How could it be so radical they could give up everything to care for one another? Well, they just had a couple months earlier supreme example of one giving up all of his rights, giving up all of his possession to meet the needs of others, namely in Jesus Christ. So they've gotten it that Jesus Christ, who was rich, became poor so that we that are poor can become rich. God radically changed their lives. So how do we get that spirit? How do we get that attitude? How do we have that where, we, where we're just giving, that we're, we want to care for one another and, and meet one another's needs? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, and verse 7. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. For who, who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast of it if you did not receive it? May we remember that we're stewards, and all that we have it's not anything that we have gotten on our own. We can't say, well, you know, I have my brains, how little it might be, or I have my ability, or I have this skill. I'm able to do this or that because it's something that you came up with. It's something that you created. It's a natural ability on your own. But we have nothing of our own. And this verse says, how can we boast when God gave us everything, gave us every ability, gave us every skill, gave us every qualification? So if that's the case, then greediness, jealousy, pride, all goes out the window because God gave us everything. It's not so that we could advance ourselves, so that we can advance his cause, his kingdom. And that's this first century church. That's what they understood. That's what they got. They became radical. They became invested in each other's lives because they realized all of these possessions were God's. I want to quickly read it. I know our time is fleeting of the... A philosopher, Aristides, wrote of the second century church. I'll just read um, skip, um, just a, a portion of it. Um, describing Christians, they refuse to worship strange gods. They go their way in all humility and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them. They love one another. The widow's needs are not ignored. They rescue the orphan from the person who does him violence. He who has gives to him who has not, ungrudgingly and without boasting. When the Christians find a stranger, they bring him to their homes and rejoice over him as a true brother. When one of their poor passes away from the world, each provides for his burial according to his ability. If they hear of any of their number who are in prison or oppressed for the name of the Messiah, they all provide for his needs and, if possible, to redeem him, to set him free. 
If they find poverty in their midst and they do not have spare food, they fast two or three days in order that the needy might be supplied with the necessities. They observe scrupulously the commandments of their Messiah, living honestly and soberly as the Lord their God commanded them. Every morning and every hour they praise and thank God for all the goodness to them and for the food and drink and offering and praise. So this is this this church pattern that we're finding in Acts 2 spilled over into the second century. And we're seeing the application, the challenge to us. That here we are in this, this crisis. Here we are, as Pastor referred to crisis this morning from Isaiah 6. How can we as a church demonstrate our health during this crisis? How can we respond in the midst of this? And we think of the example of this church, this healthy church, and the results in chapter in Acts 2, 45 and 46. How do we, how do we flesh that out? How do I look at my time, my talents, and my treasures? Let me just give a a, a few simple thoughts. One, you know what? This is really radical. You ready for this radical idea? It took me all day to um, think about it yesterday. Um, But we can each make phone calls. (laughs) That's pretty brilliant, I know. Um, But seriously, we we can each be involved in each other's lives. You know, it doesn't have to be just the pastor's job. It doesn't have to be just the deacons. And and I've been hearing back from deacons and so appreciative of them contacting people in their small groups and people in their care groups. But you know what? We can do that to one another. And we don't have to wait for a pastor or deacon to call. Find people. Ask God, bring people into my mind that that I could pray for, people that I could reach out and call. Um, You know, we could pick up food for them. We could care for them. We could find out what's happening in their lives. You know, we give highlights, and it's a joy to hear from our church family things that are happening. Um, pretty moving stuff. Um, we mentioned this morning Venezuela funds, and $4,000 was sent to Venezuela, but that's not just during this crisis. That's throughout the year, um, throughout the years that people are generously giving. Um, I think of our small group. I know of one um, individual that got the virus in a small group, and they kept calling. In fact, this individual told me that every day was getting a call um, from people in her group, just checking, seeing how she's doing, doing life together. Um, Funds are being given to help other people. Meals are being made and left off. Um, Grocery shopping, people that can't get groceries are being cared for. Um, I had one um, precious person tell me, you know, they they were shocked at the stimulus check that they got. Uh, They didn't realize it was going to be so much. You know what her first comment was? We're going to have to see, I have to pray with my husband, how we can help other people in need. Isn't that awesome? Um, Another man that I called, struggling, he didn't have medicine for his mom, and he told me of a member of our church that um, paid for the medicine for his mom. And let me tell you, it wasn't chump change. Uh, I was like shocked at the amount and the generosity. Uh, it just, but, but this is first century living. This is biblical living. Let me, may I just take two more minutes of your time if you wouldn't shut me off yet. Um, and the Lord added to their number. Um, this is a church that's on fire. They're the real deal. And the community is looking at them and they see their realness, their genuineness. And they want to be part of that. May we be part of that in our community. Call your neighbors. If you don't have their number, put a note on their door. Say, is there anything that I can do for you? I'm going out to the grocery store. Do you need anything? Um, be involved and may we, may we have gospel conversations through all of this that they can see the reality of Jesus Christ in our lives. So in closing, let me ask, how did a small group of people, 
in Acts chapter 1, verse 15, 120 people turned into a worldwide movement that impacted the whole world for Jesus Christ. How did this little movement grow to make such a difference where we are the result of their faithfulness? We are the result of their godliness. This big event in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God indwelling believers, and it's really called the new birth, became the new norm in their life. They were genuine. They went out and impacted a world for Jesus Christ. Medical experts are saying that our country may not return to normal for a while, maybe until a vaccine is found. We're really praying as, as church leaders here, God, may we not return to normal. Um, I mean, I loved our church, but may God, I'm speaking of me individually, may God take this, in, this event in our, in our world and, and just cause me to reevaluate, change things, how we view people. We're not together and how we miss that. Um, how could we invest in people? It's, it's not about me having more and how we could bless other people. So may God use us impact people for his glory. May we get involved in D groups when we come back. May we get involved in small groups when we come back. May we get involved in sharing the gospel uh, with our neighbors. May we speak one another, um, fellowship with one another, encourage one another, pushing each other towards Christ, all to the glory of God. May Acts 2 be the new norm. Let's close in prayer, friends. God, we, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior. God, thank you for the deep love of the Father towards us. Father, it was our sin that put Christ on the cross. It was our separation from you that put Christ on the cross. And God, you've changed everything. God, may we go forth in our world this week and seek to impact others for your glory. I pray in Christ's name, amen.